Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here. Just before we start the show, which is absolutely jam-packed this week, just a quick reminder to subscribe wherever you podcast. Leave us a rating too if you'd like. We don't mind what it is, but if you do have any questions, comments and concerns, shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com or I'm super crazy easy to find on Twitter, Emma L. Graney. We have had a lot of feedback lately. I really appreciate it, guys, so keep it coming. Hopefully you enjoy this week's episode of the Press Gallery. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, February 16, 2018, and this is the It's Payback Time edition. I said that with a bit of like, oh, a bit of threatening in my voice. A little you guttural guys, action you, yeah, there. You guys look terrified. Nailed it. <laughs> um, with me today, education reporter Janet French. How are you? I am well, thank you. Good Happy morning. birthday for yesterday. Oh, thank you. Happy Lunar New Year today. Gong he fat choy. Thank you, Paula Simons. Also here to join us. Yes, it's the year of the dog. Mm-hmm. And at my house where we have a, a puppy, it's always the year of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave Breckenridge, how are you, mate? I'm good. Excellent. Good, good. Excellent. Um, so this week, along the whole payback kind of line there, slash pay, we're going to be talking about crazy high superintendent pay in Alberta and the education minister's plan to deal with that. Task force, assemble! It's payback time for British Columbia. Bum, bum, bum. Right, who needs Black Panther when you've got... Uh, Darren Billis? Albert <laughs> and McClellan? <laughs> <laughs> and by- <laughs> Oh, dear. And finally, we're going to talk a bunch of people paying into the Alberta party these days and uh, take a brief update on that leadership race. And Stephen Mandel's time for payback for him. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So let's start off talking superintendent pays because, Janet, you're here. This was a fun story this week, wasn't it? Interesting, yeah. Talk us through how this all began and then I'll jump in with what happened on Tuesday. Okay. So every year, the Alberta School Boards Association, which is like a a club for school boards and school trustees they uh do kind of report on like how how much do superintendents get paid across the province uh but really they just had been looking at it was a fairly straightforward report that just would look at how many students does a school district have what's the budget of the school district and how much does a superintendent get paid Mm -hmm. and so like i'm not privy to the closed door conversations that led to this um this seeking more detail, but they asked for a consultant to prepare a more detailed report and sort of wider looking report comparing superintendent pay to other sort of senior level positions in the public sector. So for example, um, looking at uh, what's happening with assistant deputy minister pay and deputy minister pay in the government of Alberta, looking at uh, public sector uh, agencies, boards and commissions and their CEO pay, Mm -hmm. and also looking at superintendents in other provinces. So it was really the first kind of glimpse um, at superintendent salaries overall. Because you've done stories on the odd superintendent salary, which is yeah. rather high, haven't you? But yeah, this is a whole trend. Uh, and and there's, there's reporting difficulties about this. So for example, every year, the, the measure I usually use, which is sort of a good comparator, is every year the Alberta Education uh, Ministry puts out like an annual report. And one of the pages at the back of the report, they have a list of all superintendent salaries but it's not, it's a bit awkward because it's like a fiscal year. So they're tied to, it could be two people earning part of a salary oh, in yeah. there. So it's not, it's you not got perfect. Fiscal versus education year, which yeah. messes everything up. 
yeah. that too and also it uh, it's time delayed right yeah. um, and then also it uh, doesn't necessarily include their bonuses so we know that for example David Stevenson from the Calgary Board of Education just got a $500,000 payout that is not his severance pay uh, for leaving that it's accrued vacation over 42 years and <laughs> Uh, something something in his contract that like it's like other benefits that were extended to other superintendents that he just he got them matched and it added, added up to a half a million dollars mm. a lovely party I think gift. he was with CBE for quite a while so uh-huh. know, it all adds up you know what my mum was a teacher for 40 years and I guarantee you she did not get a $500,000 payout when she left and she dealt with grade ones mm. if anyone deserves $500,000 it was my mum they're angels those yeah. grade one teachers mm. uh, yes so so ASBA, the Alberta School Boards Association, they had asked they had asked for this report that looked at these different um, different professions and different other senior leaders and found that um, well as you know there's been a lot of movement by the Alberta government to curtail some of the spending for top public sector earners right mm-hmm. so there's a there's a cap I think on uh, on salaries of CEOs for agencies boards and commissions and yeah. possibly some of their salaries were pared back and there's a grid as well yeah assistant deputy ministers also just maybe through turnover or whatever their pay actually went down over the past couple of years and deputy ministers um, they generally earn more than superintendents but uh, I don't think that their pay was rising meanwhile they found that superintendent pay between 2013 and 2016 on average rose 10 percent wow which is pretty different than teacher pay i mean than everybody's pay really, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but Especially if we're just looking at the recession, sector right yeah. yeah um and so uh so i think i had some questions about this because not only do school boards negotiate these contracts and they would tell you that it's very situational specific like okay maybe we only have 2500 students in our district but it's like incredibly far spread or it's really complex or we have a lot of high needs learners or you know there may be other issues that require more hands-on management or maybe there maybe the superintendent you know maybe there's not a lot of staff and the superintendent takes on a wider yeah. role it's not they're not all apples to apples comparisons mm. for the job i would say um but uh, they also found that they were much more highly compensated than their average pals in ontario bc or saskatchewan mm-hmm. right and you'd expect maybe alberta salaries to be higher than saskatchewan but higher than people make in Toronto or Vancouver. Hmm. Yeah, that was surprising. So then you published your report on Monday, mm-hmm. on Tuesday actually, wasn't it? Because then Cabinet was yes. Tuesday morning. So we stopped and asked, when I say we, I mean the annoying press gallery folk that loiter in the hallway on a Tuesday morning before Cabinet, stopped and asked uh, Education Minister David Egan about this. And he said he'd had some concerns about individual pays for quite some time because he has to sign off on these every single he contract. He does, he does. Yeah. Um, and he says that he hasn't vetoed any contracts, but he has had conversations with school boards before, like when they've presented him contracts. Yeah. He said like, mm, I, can we talk about this particular term or whatever? So he certainly hasn't turned any contracts down, but right now they're all kind of on hold. And yeah. I don't know whether they're on hold as of Tuesday when this became public or they're on hold as of before that because he already had concerns. It was before that he said he hasn't signed off on any for a few months and that includes Joan Carr from Edmonton Catholic Schools. Yeah, Who wins the prize? Yeah, she was making a ton of money, like 400 and 
As I have said in the past, you could not pay me enough money to be the superintendent of the Ebenezer Catholic School Board and some of the <laughs> some of the crap she had to put up with last year. But I, I mean that metaphorically. You could probably pay me $400,000. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably do that job. Well, now David Egan says that he'd had some concerns for a while and he's going to look at this and he's not going to approve any contracts and he's going to figure out a way to bring things into line. Um, politically, what does this mean for the NDP, do you think, Dave? I think it's a, another sign that they're they're trying to show that they're being better stewards of the public purse. Um, you know, if uh, you cut a contract by 50000 here or whatever, it, it doesn't add up to a lot of money, but at least it's a sign that we want all the public money spent in Alberta spent wisely or responsibly. Um, and especially... The province has told teachers, yeah. you're, you're getting zeros um, to turn around and sign off on 10% over three years, like pay hikes for superintendents. I think that it might buy them uh, favor with the teachers. But I think for the public, it is it is one of those things. You have parents who are who complain about school fees, who parents have to shell out hundreds of dollars a year for their kids. Uh, and you have teachers who may be upset about not getting any raises and then to look at, oh, the, the CEOs of these boards are getting hefty raises through a recession. It doesn't look right. You know, and this is part of a, a public sector salary creep that happened under the conservatives. I mean, you know, let's remember these salaries went up and up and up and up at a time when Although the progressive conservatives always talked a good game about fiscal probity, uh, in fact, every time they went to the negotiating table, they tended to get their clocks cleaned. And in part, it was because during boom years, it's, it is tough to retain talent. And there yeah. was a lot of pressure on whether they were compensating doctors, teachers, nurses, uh, whoever it was. There were some pretty generous uh, salary hikes that got handed out over over some some years, by particularly by the Stelmack and Redford governments. But, but this is trickier because these people do not work for the government. They work for independently elected autonomous school boards. And so Egan walks a very fine line here. I mean, Dave's right. There's lots of political capital to be made in making yourselves. We are the NDP, the party the party of fiscal, you know, conservatism, not like those bad spendthrift, you know, uh, <laughs> progressive conservative types. Of course, they want to look like... Uh, uh, sober stewards of the public purse. But these are elected school boards, elected by local citizens. They have autonomy to make local hiring and firing decisions. Mm-hmm. And so when Egan, you know, uh, wields the club and looks like he might step in and Trump, you know, I don't know if he's going to, but were he to Trump what school boards do, you get into a, a serious kind of power dynamic. We saw Nova Scotia just a couple of weeks ago get rid of most of their elected school boards because yeah, they said, you know, like, like what's, what's the point of this if we're making all the decisions? And, you know, school boards here have fought long and hard uh, when Klein took away their individual taxing powers. I mean, over the last 25 years, school boards here have really fought hard for their rights, especially when the government got rid of the elected uh, public health boards. You know, school boards really felt that they had to fight for their survival. And, you know, so Egan wades into deep waters if he's going to start saying to school boards, you can't make your salary decisions. That said, why are school boards making these salary decisions? Yeah, that, it falls, a lot of it does fall on the school boards. And, and you have to think, uh, amid all of the nonsense going on at the Catholic board, and I, you know, 
um, over the, the old last Catholic the old Catholic board. Board. yeah they, they did get they, replaced they, they, did, they did get replaced the new one is calm <laughs> but there was there was a lot going on there last year and I, I point them out just because they have generated their own amount of controversy in Edmonton especially in the last term is you have to wonder well, who's minding the store there and how did that salary how did those salary decisions get made and it and it is one of those things that the I think that better transparency, this report is a good report, and it, it shows that you need to have, they may need a babysitter. Well, this, this, is why I call it, <laughs> this is why I call it salary creep, right? Because it's not like somebody woke up one day and said, I know, let's give our superintendent a great big honking pay raise. It's the kind of thing, you know, like, like frogs in the pot as you turn up the water. Um, things, things go up and up and up incrementally, and suddenly you find yourself in, in making frog soup. Janet, what was the reaction from teachers about this story? We, when we say we they have zero percent, it means that they get no new pay raises. So teachers are still moved through the grid, which means right. that some teachers will, if they haven't maxed out, will still get you know previously awarded raises over Based time. On seniority, yeah, yeah. But yeah. there's no, they haven't had any new pay. The over, grid doesn't go up. No, the grid yeah. stays is locked, and so. And so that has been that way for five of the last six years. So they were pretty annoyed when they saw this degree. <laughs> I mean, I think it's something they would have suspected, but because nobody's really put it all kind of in one pile and done a comparison yeah. and an overall look, um, that that percentage was a bit shocking, I think. Now, I should say that the Council of Alberta School Superintendents, which is the Superintendents Club, um, they kind of dispute this report. They say there are, they think there's math- mathematical errors, there's... There's something about the semantics of like, well, are you sure they were comparing them to the right other senior executives? Because superintendents in Saskatchewan, for example, are actually like the second layer of managers. The head of the school board would be called a director of education, not a superintendent. So are you sure you're comparing apples to apples here? And there was a, you know, there was like a, a typo or an error in the report where that did cause me some confusion as well. So I think they're concerned that maybe it wasn't as uh, robust as they would like to have seen. But my sense is that... Um, as much as school trustees might be afraid that they would be um, critiqued for some of the decisions they've been making, that they wanted this information out there. That's my impression. Well, I guess we'll see what David, what David, what David mm. Egan does now. <laughs> because, yeah, you're right. He's wading into a place where... Eh, and, and he was scared to wade in. When people were raising concerns about Edmonton Catholics, trustees and their infighting and... and the issues going on with that board people were wondering if the education minister was going to weigh in and he's like well they can do it dibs out yo i'm (laughs) I'm not touching that with it on on the podcast you missed david's very uh very dramatic shrug there hands (laughs) hands flying up in the air ian Ian might get that on on video make sure we do a slow-mo replay But no, but it's true. And I think Egan was really afraid to fire the Catholic school board in Edmonton because many of the things, not all, the Catholic school board in Edmonton fought about the old board, fought about absolutely everything. But some of the things they were arguing about were social issues. And I think Egan was very nervous of being portrayed as the bad socialist you know, who came in and fired the good Catholics who were defending Catholic values. <laughs> oh, yeah, when, that would have looked terrible. It would have looked terrible. And, and that's why I think that even though the dysfunction of the Catholic school board in Edmonton in the last four years had very little to do with ideology and quite a lot to do with just bad 
bad personalities and bad processes. Uh, he was very loath to weigh in and look like he was making an ideological move rather than a governance move. Uh, in this case, I, I think the value to Egan in this report is that it doesn't just show one board, one Catholic board in Edmonton being out of line, although Junkar's salary is still out of line with, with most other people's, but it shows a whole province-wide trend, and that gives him much more political cover to step in and say, I'm not disciplining one school board, I'm looking at a system-wide problem. Yeah, and he did say that too. He was Although like, he's been very thankfully. vague, yeah. Yeah, he, but he said, thankfully now, I've actually been able to see a trend. Exactly that point, Paula. Because individual concerns are one thing, but being able to be like, yeah, look, I was I was right. My gut feeling was correct. They're going up everywhere. And now they just have billions friend. of dollars in, in debt to deal with. Yeah, that's fine. You know. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move across to uh, the task force. What is it called? They're Indiana Jones now. Rachel hey, Motley. I got that reference for There you go. <laughs> I finally got a Paula reference. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, oh, I know what we should call them. We should call them the A-Team. Because <laughs> they're from Alberta. Alberta. I yeah, it's about access. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The it A-team. works on so many levels. ba ba Ba, ba, ba. That's not the easy. It's like, what have I done? Oh, pity the fool. Uh, pity the fool. I, I, I love it. I love it when a plan comes together. I do. <laughs> so, the task force had its first meeting Janet, this week. Janet is blushing for us. <laughs> in love. You're embarrassed on our behalf. That's fine. That's how I live my life. People are always embarrassed on my behalf. Um, so yes, the market access ta- task force task force had, or its, as I shall now call them forevermore, the A team <laughs> had its first meeting this week. Um, it was in the cabinet room. You know what? Actually, I ran into um, the trade minister Darren Billis in the hallway afterwards, and I proposed that perhaps next time that they're going into the meeting rather than just filing past. They should repel from the ceiling <laughs> yeah. of the legislature down into the rotunda and kind of land amongst the plants around the fountain. Wow. What yeah, if they miss? That was kind of his reaction too. <laughs> he was like, wow, Granny. All right. He could he could manage it. I don't know if I'd put Frank McKenna up to <laughs> repelling. No. No. It would look pretty freaking cool, though. That's I true. mean, visually, that would be awesome. I was also disappointed none of them had, like, laser guns. Or capes, you capes. said. Yeah, none of them had a cape on. So, like, so remind on, us, guys. Emma, who are the members of the A-team? Oh, crikey. All 19 of them. All that, no, not 19. So it's Frank McKenna and Anne McClellan as the, as the big names. Yeah, and we've got ministers. We've got deputy ministers. Uh, we've got people from oil companies on this. I was surprised that there is no folks from environment mental groups. That was my this. question. Is there anybody what, a little it, well, this greener? Is, I don't know. They had Shannon a, Phillips, the environment minister. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, Shannon Phillips brings the the green cred to the to the group. Um, I think that they they ran into problems with their oil sands advisory panel. And a couple of the members who were on it who represented that group. Support them and what was? It's not that easy being green. <laughs> oh, I should before we get Sorry, into this. I'm not going to sing that. <laughs> before we get into this, I should just briefly for those who don't know, the Market Access Task Force was assembled by uh, Premier Rachel Notley in response to British Columbia's ongoing battle against the Trans Mountain Pipeline and to form retaliatory measures against BC uh, to basically make them back down on point five, which is letting bitumen through the pipeline. Dave, carry on. Sorry, interrupted. 
um, where was I at? Repelling. They ran into problems putting putting big green voices. Yeah, yeah, and and especially in the wake of the boycott, Zipporah Berman is been, was mocking it openly on Twitter, showing her drinking BC wine and saying that the uh, approval of the pipeline was just a politically expedient deal, not based on science or any consultations with anybody. Yeah, despite the whole Zipporah Berman thing, they're going to wear that for a long yeah, time. Yeah, despite the reality of. The NEB consultation, uh, there was a deal worked out um, with the previous BC government uh, for, I don't know, what was it, a billion and a half for marine safety and billion dollars from uh, Kinder Morgan over 20 years for the province. Mm -hmm. And there were consultations done and there was a whole regulatory process they went through that led to the approval of the pipeline. But you see, they're gonna, I mean, it's going to be fought every step of the way. I mean, yesterday's news was that the NEB approved the start of construction uh, in Burnaby for the Tunnel, the tunnel yeah. bit, and right? Burnaby and the, was saying we're not going to sign off yeah, on your yeah, permits. Yeah. yeah, Burnaby was like, we're going to go to court, we're going to fight this, you know, so I think it's it's really interesting the way Notley is playing this politically. I mean, to bring in McKenna and McClellan, who are, uh, wait for it, not New Democrats in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. I mean, she's really trying to position this as a pan-Alberta, you know, pan-Canadian issue that is not linked to the NDP brand. She's not going to the big NDP national party. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting because is she going to basically end up cutting ties with the federal? I mean, the federal and provincial NDPs are all intertwined in a way that the other, you know, uh, the conservative and liberal brands are not. Mm-hmm. Um so it's interesting. I mean, you know, when you bring in Anne McClellan, who's got lots of gravitas, former deputy prime minister, uh, Frank McKenna, uh, and former, you know, ambassador, uh, former premier, right? So you've got you've got people who are not on NDP brand, but who are very clearly on, you know, on, on the messaging that Rachel Notley wants to put out there, that this is a moderate, sensible thing to do. And finally, Justin Trudeau came out from wherever, <laughs> wherever he's been, um, popped his head up. And said that, and I thought this was a fascinating way to frame it, that the Horgan government in BC, that what they're doing is contrary to to Canada's, you know, carbon reduction plan, that he's being just as obstructionist as Brad Wall was when he opposed carbon taxes and saying to Horgan, if you don't let us build the pipeline, you are being bad for climate change, which is a pretty fascinating way to pull the carpet out from under somebody. Mm. On that point, Paula... Um, we did ask Premier Rachel Notley whether she expects the federal party to step in and offer some support for the federal NDP to f- <laughs> offer some support for her. And she just kind of looked and went, no. Nah. Well, they they're, they signed the Leap Manifesto, didn't they? They're- well, aren't they? Yeah, because they've got their federal, they've got their convention this weekend in Ottawa. Yeah, no, and she's not going. And she's not yeah. going. She's not going. I've got a lot on my plate here, she said. So I'm going to stay in Alberta and keep working uh-huh. for Alberta. Although didn't she give like the keynote address when it was in Edmonton last year? Yes, she said the yeah. only reason she went to the one in Edmonton a couple of years ago was because it was on it her was way near. to the store. Yeah, like <laughs> basically she could walk her dog there and uh, she chime up outside. She did do have the t- keynote and wonder. She up. did have time this week to post the most embarrassing photograph of her husband as her Valentine's post. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. Did you not see no. her Lou Arab Valentine? She found some photo of him when he was literally a long-haired hippie. I mean, he has the longest hair in the world. And she, and she posted a picture of him sort of before and after and said, you know, still love you. Really, really like the new hair, though. Uh, 
<laughs> romance isn't dead. Speaking of, they did come up with uh, little um, Valentines that you could put on social media uh, this week on Valentine's Day, which was roses are red, violets are fine. Let's build a pipeline and we'll take back your wine. And it was to the people of BC, love the people of Alberta. So I, nice. I preferred the one that our own Chad Huckalock came up with, which is a picture of Notley looking very resolute. She looked like the Iron Woman. Uh, and and <laughs> Chad's line was, let the love flow or else. <laughs> <laughs> so politically, though, this panel, I mean, they've really got to knuckle down and do some some stuff here. But they, they've got to also take it day by day because if the BC government does decide to actually back down on point five, which they may do, maybe... Ish. I don't know. I I think Horgan may be backing down a little. I know that he turned around this week and said, oh, no, we weren't going to ban it before the safety assessment was done. We were going to that was going to be considered after, which would, seemed like a change in tone uh, from his earlier statements from his environment. Was it environment minister? Yeah, that it'll be, you know, we're going to implement a ban on uh, bitumen through the pipeline. Yeah, Dil- while we, on, on yeah. Dilbit. Yeah, and Dilbit. Yeah. I love saying the word Dilbert. Dilbert. It makes, makes me feel like a real Albertan. <laughs> it makes but, me makes me think of Dilbert. Yes, uh, but, but, yeah. but I mean, really, what what Horgan what Horgan needs in a way is for Trudeau to rescue him by you know what has to happen. I think is that the federal government has to make it really plain to Brit that you know that Horgan can't do anything, and then Horgan can turn around and say to his base and to the Greens, "I did my best," and those bad bad feds, you know, and then he can run against the feds. But that's sort of Horgan needs Horgan needs someone to to build him an exit ramp so that he can so that he can say I did my very best and we lost and now those bad federal liberals let's go get them and I think Notley may be helping him out with that by appointing Anne McClellan and Frank McKenna to the panel Anne McClellan was the chair of Trudeau's or co-chair chair of Trudeau's pot legalization panel and so I think by appointing those people, you potentially have an in with the Trudeau government to get some movement there. I think that may be their purpose on the panel, um, to get an in with the feds, to for them to step up and do their job. Because it really is, at the end of the day, a pipeline is a national project. It's not about um, Alberta and BC fighting. It's That's how the debate has been framed because Notley stepped up and, and boycotted BC wine, trying to represent Alberta's interests, but it really is a national project and the Prime Minister and the federal government have to be the heavies here if that's the way they want to go or they step down and let Horgan do what he wants. But it's, it's between BC and Canada. Yep. In the meantime, Rachel Notley should send John Horgan a big bouquet of flowers uh, because this has been the best thing ever for her. I mean, it would be better if they built the pipeline, but second to a pipeline, um, allowing her to pose as the you know as the fierce defender of of Alberta interests as our own little Valkyrie um, is is a pretty is a pretty sweet thing. We've got a few minutes left, so let's quickly talk about the Alberta Party. Um, their membership has gone up five hundred percent. That's one way to put it. <laughs> from from one hundred to five hundred. From one thousand to about. 6,000 and change. 6,543. Thank you, Janet. I looked, I looked that up. You looked <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Only 100,000 more to go to catch the UCP. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, I mean, it's growth. It is growth. I mean, if if I were the Alberta Party, I would be happy I was growing. I might have wanted to hit 10,000. Uh, that might have been good. A nice uh, round number. But, you know, a leadership race has obviously uh, buoyed memberships. I mean, I, I think Mandel's people wanted to sell 
a lot of memberships because that's the only way he has a, a hope of becoming leader because he, he comes to the party from the outside. And, well, I suppose Rick Fraser is the same thing. I mean, it, it, you know, if you want to win the leadership, you have to sell the memberships. That's how that works. Yeah. This kind of reflects the fundraising as well. Fundraising for the Alberta Party tripled from Q3 to Q4, actually, up to $91,000. So but when does, when does that membership number from? Because they were selling memberships right up until this week. Yeah, that is from this week. That, okay, so yeah, that, that so is, in March 2017, it was 1000 and. 1,024. Thank you, Janet. And <laughs> then um, that was basically this week when the cutoff to okay. buy a membership so that you could vote in the leadership race. That's when that number comes from. Of course, we've got so we've got three people. We've got uh, Stephen Mandel, former mayor we've got of Edmonton. We've got Calgary lawyer Cara Levis. And we've got MLA Rick Fraser, formerly of PC, formerly of UCP, formerly of Independent, now with the Alberta Party. <laughs> he's like Prince, you know, his name just keeps changing. Can we make a symbol for him? <laughs> yeah, I know. So he's, 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 had four, he's had four different uh, brand identifications since he became an MLA. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's really, he's that's, really that's, cycled through. That, that, that's in one term. Let's, let's, yes, let's that's in the space of a couple of years. That's in actually probably about a year. Because yeah. he, yeah, so Rick Fraser um, is a Calgary MLA and he just received the backing last week, I believe, of uh, his other MLA friend in the Alberta party. There are three of them now. Um, Karen McPherson, who of course crossed from the NDP to the Alberta party. So that's kind of interesting too, that an NDPer is back in a former UCPer and now they're playing together real nice. On the same party. God, this whole thing is weird. I just I just come on this podcast to ask questions, really. I just (laughs) want to have the information. Um, We're the audience surrogate. That's good. Ooh. Uh, What is the current NDP membership? That's a great question, Janet. I could not find that information easily. They do not uh, like to give out their membership numbers. I called Rory Richardson, the party president, uh, twice yesterday and sent him an email. Didn't hear back. Rory. So I have new. Rory, we're asking you right now. Rory, if, if, if you listening. or any of your uh, NDP cohorts are listening, we'd like those numbers. We'd love them, please. Because hey, the UCP hey, told me. I mean, there are 106,000 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we know the Alberta Party, and we know the UCP. I think I have. I think I might know the Liberals too, but I'd have to go and. How many members does the Richard brain. Starkey Party have? <laughs> Just Richard Starkey <laughs> and, and, and Liesl the dog. I think. <laughs> But yeah, the Alberta Party, um, I don't know. They they have, were super excited about their growth. I mean, good on them for their enthusiasm. It is, so, it is sorry, I, it is good to see them grow a bit it, for them. It's having, having any interest in a leadership race that people weren't expecting and didn't think would garner a lot of interest is a positive for them. How that plays out for the leadership, you know, I... If Stephen Mandel loses, I kind of feel bad for him. He went from being a very popular mayor to a not super popular health minister to losing in an Edmonton riding, and then he may lose the leadership of the third party. Yeah. I know. It's interesting. I mean, he's got he's got ground game in Edmonton. It really depends how many memberships they sold. I am a little intrigued to see that he got fined for being oh, yeah. not, not even a day late, but a few hours late in filing all of his paperwork. They had to have it, what, done by midnight? And it had to go online by midnight on like you know the fourth and it went up online at 8 a.m or 9 a.m on the fifth you know so if you, you were 500 if, bucks if you were a university student you might be able to just like get that you know get that paper in on your prof's good graces but it doesn't speak well of the organizational uh merits of his team 
I mean, he should have pros in place who don't make stupid mistakes like that. And of course, it doesn't really reflect anything on the ethics. This isn't this isn't like Jason Kenney being fined for ethical violations during his leadership campaign. I mean, this is just dumb. But <laughs> dumb, <laughs> dumb does silly, dumb, silly, dumb silly, does silly. not reflect well. I mean, I mean, who knows? I mean, I I remember Mandel chastising me when I mentioned once that I'd been late filing my city property taxes. He was like, No, no, you can't be late because that's you get fined. Oh, so this is payback. Oh. You have you have. Uh... <laughs> So, you know, I mean, I don't have an axe to grind. I, 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 and I have to pay the city extra when I'm late. So it's not like this is a terrible confession of I'm also late with running my library books. So far, far be it, <laughs> no. far be it for me to mock people who miss deadlines, even though as a journalist, I don't miss them here. Uh, but yeah, it, it doesn't speak well to their basic organizational skill or their, you know, did they not understand how to make the uploader work? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe his <laughs> computer crashed. <laughs> Let's move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also like. Janet, let's kick off with you, mate. What hey. have you got for us? Well, I guess this is sort of political because the whole Colton Bushy, Gerald Stanley case is inherently political. And sorry, Paula, even though I read probably 25 uh, contemplative pieces um, over, about this over the last week, yours is not the one I'm recommending <laughs> but it's nothing personal um so uh, there is a reporter named Barb Pahalik who covered courts in Regina for I don't know 30 years she's written some books Bob some and I books. used to share a desk at the leader post yeah, she's, she's solid a fantastic yeah. woman anyway uh she now writes a column she's a city editor now for the leader post and she wrote a great thoughtful informed piece about jury selection in Saskatchewan and making the point that if you know, there had already been recommendations and changes made to the way they select coroner's juries in Saskatchewan, where the coroner can, in fact, say, um, you know, okay, there's a racial element to this case. I want, a, you know, part of the pool of jurors to come from a certain racial or ethnic background. If you can do that for coroner's juries without fuss, why can't you do that in criminal cases? That's we don't have coroner's juries in Alberta, just as a footnote. Um, Paula, what do you have for us? I am also going to recommend uh, a piece that comes out of the Bushy coverage, and this is a really provocative essay by Robert Jago. Some people were very, very angry about this essay. He's an indigenous activist, essayist, um, and there was a whole foo because he initially had the essay posted to a small indigenous media site, and the site crashed, and there's some question, did it just crash because the piece was so popular, or was it actually hacked uh, by racists, but it's now reposted on the rabble. And it's a very powerful piece that may make you very uncomfortable. It basically says that we are all racists uh, and don't think you're one of the good ones. Uh, and I will also then out of self-interest and because we have a we have a new pilot project here where I'm supposed to be doing video essays. I, I have my own video essay uh, about the, the bushy, uh, about the Stanley verdict and a about um, a culture of self-defense on the prairie that I, I think uh, was also provocative and, and made people angry. So <laughs> you can read Robert Jago and you can watch me. Very good. I'm going to um, recommend something from the New York Times. It was the New York Times coverage of the Westminster Kennel Club dog show. <laughs> oh, and a Bichon Frise one. I, yes. I love um, Bichon Frise. And... Uh, it was great. It was kind of a live blog. So you can go through and there are photos, there are vignettes profiling some of the dogs and some of the, uh, not the dog owners, but the people who prepare the dogs for the show and floof them and use, um, it's called fairy dust or something on their faces to, which sounds like a drug, but apparently isn't it dries the drool. Um, yeah, so it's great. 
It was lots of fun, and I just I love dogs so much, and the photos are fantastic. Dave, what do you have for us, mate? I'm going to recommend something uh, on the ongoing saga of Patrick Brown in Ontario. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> for those who have been following, he is the uh, former, <laughs> maybe not even. former... Is he... He disputes his <laughs> resignation, but then doesn't. He, uh, he, is, he, is, he is the rum tum tugger of, yes, uh, <laughs> of the uh, the PC leader uh, in Ontario, who is seen by many as the uh, premier in waiting, as there's an election later this spring, um, who resigned after there were allegations reported by CTV uh, that uh, regarding sexual impropriety on his part. Um, he is disputing the claims. CTV has walked back one piece of the allegations regarding when it happened and the age of one of the accusers. So I'm recommending uh, Jen Gerson's piece on the Patrick Brown saga, What Kind of Leader is Patrick Brown? Questioning, even though, even though the allegations, he, he disputes them, um, they hint at a sincere lack of judgment that we'd want in a political leader. Nice. Thank you so much for joining me, Janet, Paula, Breck, and Ian, here to film some of this new dad. Ian... Congratulations! Like eleven days old now, Isaac. He's giant, Isaac. Yeah. Thank you for joining us all. And uh, Ian's going to put some of this online at edmontonjournal.com, where you can find all the past episodes. Join us again this time next week on the Press Gallery.